0: Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: That time of the week again, always a pleasure to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today, what a pleasure it is to celebrate the life of a man who is a member of one of the rare clubs in football. He played more than 300 games for the black and white and the red and white, a premiership player. His name is Paul Williams. Delighted to have him in the studio. Willow, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been been a, been a little bit of time, uh, but uh, no, it's good to be good to be in here. You're looking well. You haven't changed. You're one of these uh. annoying blokes, I reckon. That uh, when you first got to Collingwood, and now mm. there's not much difference.
1: Yeah, I, I've um, I, I haven't I haven't aged as much as what some of uh, my ex-teammates have, and I I still exercise where. Some of them don't, um, but uh, I, feel, I feel really good. I feel like um, I don't feel 46. There's no doubt about that.
2: Do you want to put some of those teammates in who don't exercise? Feel free. You can use this forum if you like.
1: Oh, no, no, I wouldn't do that. Like, um, I think the TV uh, says enough. Scotty Burns has been eating a few <laughs> team <tontine> pillows.
2: <laughs> Graham Wright, another one. Oh, but I'm not going to name it. No, don't that. name anybody. <laughs> uh, what's life involved for you these days?
1: I work for a company called Upstream Solutions. Uh, so we, we basically um, try to take the paper out of business. Uh, we, we're, we're owned by Fuji Xerox, um, but uh, that, that's, that's my job. Uh, we, we go around businesses and, and try to automate some of their process, processes around accounts payable or could be proof of delivery. There's, there's a lot of different things that we, we do do, um, which, which is exciting because it's nice to actually talk to a business about a problem that we we try to solve for them
2: sometimes that we see in the modern day footballer that they've just got too much time on their hands. Whereas if you had something else to occupy your thoughts and your brain, it could be a positive for you.
1: Yeah, I think um, look the, the problem that that I see with today, even for my daughters, uh, is around the the social media um, having having so much uh, of your life sprayed on, on social media where everyone can see is something that. We we never did, obviously, because it didn't exist. Um, but we didn't have time either, where they, they probably got a little bit more time to troll the comments from the trolls out there and, and whatnot, and then, then they have to be be able to absorb that and, and dismiss it. Um, but it's very hard. If you're constantly told something which you don't think you
2: are, um, sometimes you might believe it. You played in an era where it was probably good that there was no social media, but it was certainly good that there were no cameras and phones.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a rap that I played in the era I played. Yeah. Um, being able to play in suburban grounds, Vicky Park and Morabin and and um, gr- grounds like that, Princess Park at the time uh, w- w- was really enjoyable because you felt like um, the crowd was a bit closer and you could hear them a bit more. And um, and then to transition into f- fully professional as well was really really a good. Um, experience as well. So I feel I was really blessed being able to play in sort of both areas. I probably had about six years where we worked full time and and obviously played professionally. And then when it went fully professional, I had about 10 years of doing that, So, uh, which, which was really good as well.
2: Let's explore just a little bit of that. While you've touched on it, you said you could hear the crowd. Is there one particular sledge that you got over the fence one day in those days that you found amusing or that stuck in your mind? Um, not, there, there was a few, um,
1: from, there was a couple from Collingwood supporters to opposition players where I looked at them and said, oh, come on, no, I don't even think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but that's the passion of our game and, and our supporters. But, um, I, I remember this and it was more in Tassie when I was in Tassie, I remember this old lady, um, I was playing for North Hobart and, and she would have been, I reckon 80 Easy eighty, and she abused me like I've never been abused ever in my life. And I turned around, and her teeth came out. um And I thought, oh well, that, that, now that is funny. That's karma. Yeah, and it went, it went up onto the onto the grass, and I thought, do I go pick it up or do I go step on it? I, I didn't know which one to do, so I just let it go.
2: Do you think, oh, nearly thirty years ago, that your Collingwood teammates would have been running around with yourself and Michael Christian, thinking, now there's the bloke who's going to be deciding the fate of everybody as the match review officer. And here's a bloke who's going to finish up on the tribunal because that's where you are now.
1: Yes, I'm on the tribunal. Um, yes, i get a bit of feedback from friends and whatnot with that one. Um, but no, it's, it's it's good. Like I, I actually en- really enjoy still having, albeit really, really small role uh, with the AFL, I still really enjoy having uh, my finger in the... On the pulse a little bit uh, with that, and I've um, I've enjoyed my last. I think I've been doing it for the last five or six years, and it's been it's been good. It's, uh, we've got a good bunch of guys that are that are on it, and um, we we don't get used a lot because uh, the the way the fine systems and the way uh, Chris O will find someone for an incidental hit rather than uh, take it to the tribunal. So, but having said that, we've we've been up a little bit more than,
2: than usual this year. When you go back to the older days did you spend much time at the tribunal either as a hitter or a hittee I got um I got investigated
1: a couple of times as a hitter um which I was proven to be not guilty mm-hmm. thank god for no behind the goals vision back mm-hmm. then um and I was up a few times for getting whacked uh, by a couple of guys um which which was interesting um I remember one was I was only about I think I was 18 or 19 and Dale Waitman uh, got me behind play. And got, it was a really good one. And I fell asleep on the ground and uh, woke up in the rooms and I had like 22 stitches um, in my chin and my lips. And uh, and my lip was looked like a nutty professor. It was so swollen. <laughs> and they said, I think it was Busy, said, uh, was that a result of the incident? And back in those days, like anything you do is try to get your mate off. Um, and I said, oh, I can't remember. I had no idea. But I couldn't even talk properly, mm. uh, which was quite quite funny. But, uh, yeah, so I w- went up a few times. So I got investigated a few times and um, had a, luckily to have a clean sl- slate for my whole career. I didn't get rubbed out once.
2: Do you think the system's working now the way that they've got it with Crusoe, first of all, the, almost the first point of call, and then you guys, if required? Um I think the first
1: protocol definitely is is the right way. I I think the the way that um Chriso's uh, doing it is he's doing a really good job in a in a difficult environment because he's one out where previously uh, they had multiple people doing doing those games. I like the way that um they do the game as quick as possible now. Um so mm. like a Friday night game will be done by Saturday afternoon or or um anything like that. So if there is a contentious issue that club will know it um, by Saturday afternoon uh, from tonight's game, for example, or, or Friday night's game. Um, uh, so I think that part's good. I think there's still there's still room for improvement. Like like anything, it, it, it's a there's humans involved, so anything with a human involved, there there are, are some errors that could come could come into it. Um, we try to stay as consistent as possible, uh, but sometimes the the laws in the game uh, booklet that we all have. Uh, um, tie your hands
2: behind your back a little bit. Will you always err on the side of being a player's man? Is is there a line that you can smudge a little bit if you like?
1: Uh no. We we will always um we will always be governed by and, and directed a, a little little bit by the obviously the laws of the game in the AFL. Um, but we still, if we still feel like it was uncalled for, or if it wasn't a a courageous act or if it was behind the play and if, uh, for want of of another word, if it was a bit of a dog's act, we we will still um, obviously aggressively uh, go with that. We also have pretty pretty good opinions around what we like in the game, what we don't like in the game. So, if there is uh, a incident where, even the Stratton uh, incident re- recently, look, look, no one likes that in the game, and we didn't like it in the game, and um, th- thankfully he he did get the, the two weeks for that, uh, and therefore that stamps it out straight away because then he won't do it again and everyone's seen all the publicity and the negative publicity for him um, uh, with what he did and so we were keen to stamp that out and uh, we've been able to do that. We wanted to stamp out the slam tackles a lot so we we think that we've done that. Um, so And, and there's, there's no really bad, thuggerish behaviour anymore these days, which which I think is a really positive thing for the game.
2: Gee, we've spoken a lot about technology in this first segment. There probably yeah. wasn't that yeah. much technology around when you were a boy growing up in Tassik dreaming of uh, kicking the ball at the big time.
1: No, no, there was none of that. Uh, I think we had the beta, didn't we, the, VH- yes. the VHS and beta tapes? Yeah. Um, uh, n- yeah, no technology, no phones. I remember my first mobile phone. Um, uh, I had to carry the battery pack the Motorola. Yeah. I thought I was so cool, um, but uh, these days it's, uh, it's definitely lifted, which is good. Like Everything evolves and everything gets better for, uh, for a good reason.
2: So. Well, speaking of tribunals and mobile phones, I've mentioned this before, but the first mobile phone I ever saw, Dr Geoffrey Edelston had it, and he turned up at AFL or VFL House, as it was, and it was an, in a briefcase, yeah. it was actually in a case that was the first one that I laid my eyes on, and I thought this is incredible
1: yeah, it's crazy, isn't
2: it It's amazing how uh, everything evolves um, so
1: yeah that that uh, was probably a bit heavy. that was a big battery pack for, for yeah. jeffrey i'm sure I'm sure it was only the battery pack in that briefcase oh well. I'm
2: sure it probably was which part of Tassie was it where you did your early growing up uh i my
1: family we we ran hotels, so i'm a son of a publican um and we live predominantly in Hobart um but we moved around a little bit I was in Wynyard up the top there for about five years uh, but predominantly well, for twelve the other twelve years i was in um i was in Hobart
2: um leaving ahead do you think the team will ever happen on the apple isle
1: oh, I hope so like i the people, the people down there, are so passionate about the the game, and they've been so passionate for so long. Um, it'd be an absolute shame if if they don't get if they don't get something down there, um, because like you look at how much money has been spent in the Gold Coast experiment, um, and they've needed to spend that much, and they need to spend a lot more. You wouldn't have needed to spend half of that in Tasmania to get it up and going and, and running really well. Um, I remember when, when Richo retired, uh, we both had a, a chat about, like, we've got to get a campaign going to try to get a team down there. But the problem is the, 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 the local competitions probably dropped away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that hasn't helped and. The fear has always been being able to have an arena that could house enough people to uh, fund an AFL uh, club because we all know how many millions of dollars it costs now to run a successful AFL club and um, it would need a fair bit of government support down there. It would need a a couple of the big corporates, perhaps Cascade or Cadbury or or someone like that, that... that, um, they heavily get involved financially as well. Um, but I'm still hopeful. I'm, I'm hoping before uh, my toes are turned up uh, that uh, there's something that happens down there.
2: Whose team would it be, though, Willow? That's the problem. People don't understand if you haven't been experiencing the north-south divide, there is the civil war that they talk about.
1: Yeah, it's still there.
2: So whose team does it become? Is, it, is the team based out of Hobart and plays some games out of Launceston? How does it physically work?
1: I think it'd have to be based out of Hobart. I would think it'd have to be. Um, the Northerners won't like that, but mm. it might actually bring them together. Like if they've got, if they do have their own team that they can be very passionate about, they they might uh, they might put aside all the uh, grievances they've had on each other for for such a long time. But I, I think you've got to go where the, the most people are, and the most people are in Hobart. So uh, if if they do um, eventually. Are lucky enough to have one. I think that will be the starting point. They might play some games out of Launceston as well, uh, so they could. Let's, let's get them in there first. Uh, that, that's probably the hardest thing.
2: So when you're going through your early steps, sometimes in Hobart, sometimes in Wynyard, who's your VFL team as a kid growing up?
1: Oh, was Richmond. I was, a, I was a mad Richmond boy. Um, Dad played under-19s over here. Uh got in a really horrific car accident um and and had to go back as a a 19 year old I think 18 or 19 year old so um he yeah so because he played under 19s Richmond was the the team and and obviously Royce Hart being Tasmanian like the in Tassie at the time it was you either followed Richmond or Hawthorne. uh Hutto with with the Hawks was obviously very big down there and uh, oh, and also St Kilda um, with all the the um, past champs from Tasmania, Daryl Baldock, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, out of um, out of that club as well. So that, they're all the main three, and uh, it was mainly because uh, of Dad that went for Richmond.
2: And so, how did a kid from Tassie dreaming of the big time find himself at the biggest football club in the land?
1: Um, Oh, I thought, I actually thought I was going to Carlton. Um, it, it was interesting because that was back in the day when you could get drafted at 16. So I got drafted at 16. I, I think I was picked 70 um, at 16. I'd played I played about eight games of senior footy at 15 in Tassie. And, and the TFL back then was a pretty good competition. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of Victorians that, uh, coming and South Australians that were coming down to Tasmania to play because uh, the level was quite high. It was very similar to SAFL and Waffle uh, at, at that point. Um, so I I honestly did think I was going to Carlton because I, I didn't really... I know West Coast, this is, this is funny, West Coast sent me a letter and said that uh, we're interested in you. Um, can you fly yourself to Perth? And I said, I don't even fly myself to Melbourne. I don't have <laughs> I don't have the money to do that. I'm fifteen. Um so I said, no, thanks. I won't be going there. Um and then they they um they picked me up. They they took a bit of a punter. I think because I we had our till cup in Victoria and I was only fifteen fifteen, sixteen. I think I was just turned sixteen then. Um and I I had one really good game, uh, at Vicky Park because we played at Vicky Park and I can't remember the other place. I think it might have been Princess Park, um, but most of our games are at Vicky Park. And I played. I remember I played on that um, Anthony Bannock uh, who went number one, yeah. that year. And I had a I had a bit of a bit of a good game against him, and that that evolved
2: into them taking a punt on me. Translation, I think you probably took him apart, uh, judging oh, by... Yeah, I kicked eight. <laughs> from the centre. And so the journey began, and we'll talk about the journey when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. More with Willow coming up after the break.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to this is your sporting life with Peter Donaghen for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives.
2: What a joy it is to have Paul Williams as my guest on This is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So you finish up at Collingwood and you actually finish up there. You drafted in 89. So you finish up at Collingwood in 1990. You didn't play, but you were part of that famous year at the club. What was that like?
1: Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty surreal really. Um I think because uh, back in those days, they had a list, I think, of 52 or 54. So being 16, I had to make a decision, uh, which I, I, I'm really comfortable and glad I did it, uh, of staying in Tasmania and playing a full year of senior football against men. Uh, or do I go straight away to 1990 to play under-19s and I might get a reserve game? Who knows? I had had no real idea with that. and I, And... I said I remember saying to my mum I think I'm better off staying and playing and actually learning to get hit and, and and hit um some some men rather than playing against kids the same size as me uh which which I ended up doing and I think it was a really really good decision um but obviously followed the pies really closely in nineteen ninety because I was a tiger before that and then um uh dismissed them pretty quickly and uh went. <laughs> Went and followed the the pies and, and over that journey and and Collingwood were great and they and they wanted me to come for the grand final experience and all that sort of stuff but I chose not to um, I just said no no it's their it's their time I'll I'll sit back and I'll I'll come and meet everyone after after the fact. Do you regret that now? Uh, no, no. Oh, I think um, I think that the experience would have been amazing. Like actually being at Victoria Park uh, with such a uh, a long Drought from uh, when the, the the team had won previously, uh, with so many failure, failures. Uh, sorry, in, in in between time, um, so that would have been an amazing experience. But I, I, personally, I just felt um, I don't want to I don't want to go there and get in the way of them celebrating something really special that they've done together as a group, and and I, I didn't want anyone have to babysit me or anything like that. So I just thought it would be better for, for me and, and for them uh, that they, that they uh, enjoy their moment and, and hopefully that I'd get in it to experience that one the next year. I was thinking in my head, uh, but that wasn't to be.
2: They certainly enjoyed their moment. A Some bit, would say a bit too long. Did you see that? Could you see that? Or were you just this wide-eyed kid coming into the football club? Did you sense that there was, we've done what we have set out to do and let's just cruise a little bit?
1: They definitely because i i got there obviously start of preseason I, I was there before before that, and some of the more senior guys didn't come for a while. I didn't see some of those guys for a little while and and listen like it's such a huge event uh who can begrudge them for for celebrating a little bit longer than what what they probably should have um and, and that's why i think ninety ninety one was so disappointing because the first half of ninety one the the really good players for the club probably weren't as fit as what they they were the, the previous year, and then in the last half of '91 we really started steamrolling and getting some momentum, and unfortunately just missed the six I think it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just missed that, and um, uh, which which was really frustrating. And but '92 w- was a pretty good year, like finished equal top. But finished third on percentage from memory, uh, and lost the first final out straight away. So it was pretty brutal. Um, the the final six back then.
2: How were the early steps for you as a young man coming into this established team? As I said at the time, the biggest football club in the land. What yeah. was that experience like for a young man?
1: It was really good. Like obviously, I had the senior guys were amazing. Like having Graham right there was really important. Uh, it was a Tassie boy, and and uh, it's funny like we where Tasmanians are like the white indigenous. They, they sort of stick together and they're really tight and they, they love seeing each other do well and they help each other out a, a fair bit. And um, Riley was that for me. Um, and then because he was so established, it, it made it easy for me to, to meet the Gav Krasiskas and the Darren and the Peter Dacos's and the Tony Shaws And, and, and he was amazing. he like, was a wonderful leader. He... Um, he just came up to you straight away, and and you didn't feel like you you needed to do anything special for him to talk to you. He just talked to you straight away, um, which was which was really
2: really nice. When you've played more than three hundred games of football, you won't remember all of them. But are, are there any games in particular with the pies that stand out in your memory? I think the
1: biggest one that stands out was the the first ANZAC Day game, the ninety five. Um, When uh, Lee Lee Matthews, our coach, um, the great Lee, uh, he said that we we should meet at Victoria Park because they anticipated there was going to be a big crowd. So, which was strange because like we all live around in and around Collingwood, um, and we and MCG is not far away, and uh, we just normally park in the grass area and walk walk into the ground. Um, But he said, "There's going to be more than than usual, and he wants to make sure everyone gets there." So we had to meet at the, at Vicky Park, and we jumped on the bus. And we were coming down into Brunton Avenue, and it was just a sea of people. Uh, the road was blocked; we couldn't get through. They had to have um, some police like clear the way of the pedestrians so we could actually get through to get to uh, get to the ground, um, which which was a huge experience and. Having i think it was i think it was fifteen or twenty thousand people locked out that couldn't yeah. get in it was crazy it was bigger than uh bigger than a grand final in terms of noise and even when um, they did the national anthem, and you know when everyone screams that first time, mm. the actual ground shook yeah. and i there was something that ran down my leg i don 't know what it was, but I, I think I wet myself <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> but i 've never felt that even in big finals or whatever uh, that that experience was was phenomenal
2: did you get the sense that day willow with everything that happened with sav kicking multiple goals and ninety four thousand there Finishes up in a draw that you were part of something that was just about to start and be one of the most special days in footy.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's been debated for a while. Should should Essendon and, and Collingwood still share that um, that moment? And uh, I I'm probably a little bit biased, but I, I think uh, unequivocally they should still have it. I, I think that those both Sheedy, um, obviously Sheedy was a big player in, in um, coming up with the the concept and. And Collingwood embracing it as well has been huge, and um, I think it just wouldn't be the same if if it was someone else that that actually played in that day. It's the same as Dreamtime at the G is is a great event with uh, Essendon and Richmond, um, which I love going, and watching, and and seeing seeing all the pre uh, activities, and then uh, watching a great game of footy. So, in
2: an hour, it's hard to. Take apart everything that you did in your football career, but when you look at your time at Collingwood, did the football club underachieve? Possibly because of what happened in that year before you physically got there.
1: I, I think there was a few things that that happened. Uh, d- uh, to answer your question, bluntly, yes, I, I think we we did underachieve. Uh, I, I felt that like we had talent that uh, was well and truly good enough to uh, to play uh, deep in d- deep in finals. You're not guaranteed. Premierships or anything like that ever, um, but I felt like we should have played a lot more finals. There was only in the ten years I was there, there was only two finals that that we played in, and uh, one was '92 out straight away, '94 against West Coast over there. Um, was that the famous mark? Yeah, that was dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah. Mick. Yeah, which like if you actually have a look at it, the the ball was floating all over the place, yeah. and. Uh, it was a really difficult mark, and um that there was other there was a lot of other things that happened in that game that yeah. we should have cleaned up yeah it's didn't...
2: unfair that that moment is so focused on
1: yeah and and he played a brilliant game uh, yeah. mick uh, well Mick was one of the best players i' played with, so um he yeah, it's unfortunate that... And I probably got legs because of uh, Woosh's uh, response yes. after. And that probably gave it more legs than what it deserved. We definitely did under underachieve. I, I thought that we, we had a lot more talent than what we actually showed. And it was weird. We we started seasons quite well. Uh, and it felt like almost the, the group might have got ahead of themselves a little bit and then they lost their way um,
2: for middle part, the middle chunk of every season. So... Uh, which was really frustrating. So perhaps here's this young fellow who came over and was in some way a distant part of a Collingwood premiership in 1990 and thinking the premierships would come, but it doesn't come at Collingwood. But footy has strange ways of doing things, and we'll find out how the premiership dream actually happened for Paul Williams when we come back on the other side of the break. Hope you're enjoying the chat on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: Paul Williams is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So the decade at the pies comes to an end. How did it transpire that you go from black and white to red and white?
1: uh yeah it was it was interesting I, I think um i had had Rodney Ede as my allies coach back in ninety five or ninety six and rocket um rocket tried to get me to Sydney the year before um and I said, no 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 I I'm one club player i'm not I'm not leaving et cetera et cetera. and it was also my tenth year that next year with with the pies. I was really keen to to play at minimum ten uh, with them. Mick Muldas came in, and I thought I oh, probably thought that he would have a, a more of an immediate impact, which was unrealistic really um, when, when you look back on it i just wasn't just wasn't enjoying my football and I felt like I needed a break R- rocket rang me again, and he actually got a bite off me this time and i said listen if I was still contracted at Collingwood, so I still had a year to go i said listen if there's a if there's a trade that can be done, I'll only go to the swans uh you guys um." And I only go if there's compensation for for the pies. And I said I don't want I don't want a player to be traded. I just want draft picks. So uh, I don't want to someone from the Swans lose a mate with, for me to go there. So that was a couple of my um, requests. And doesn't you don't often always get what you want. But uh, we were lucky enough to to come up with a, a solution which we felt was a, was a win for for both clubs. And the pies got picked eight or something like that and, and 30 for, for me and then they on traded pick eight to get James Clement and Brodie Holland from Fremantle and both boys were really super players for um, for the Pies for a long period of time and and I had some success with the Swans so I, I
2: felt like it was a, a really uh, win-win sort of result. What was it like going from And we've mentioned this a couple of times. The biggest football club where you're under the microscope and everything you do is forensically analysed, going up to a city where, yes, it was a big thing in Sydney, but it's not a traditional AFL football state. Did you notice the difference? Was it stark?
1: Oh, yeah, it was massive. Uh, And the best analogy I can have is uh, I used to go to the local shop to get bread and milk. And on a Monday is a really bad day to do that. Uh, you get feedback from the owner about uh, everything that happened in the game mm-hmm. in the third quarter. Why did we do this and uh, and uh, why didn't um, why didn't uh, Shuri make that move or Mick make that move? Um, and it'd take forty five minutes to get home. And I think my then eh, eh, oh, now ex wife uh, thought I was playing up on her or something because it took so long <laughs> to get home. Um, but when I went to Sydney. Uh, I'd go and I'd be back in five minutes and mm-hmm. she'd go, what's going on? I so, said, well, no one asked you anything here. They just asked, uh, is that all you want? Uh, bread and milk? Yes, that's all I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And, and that's, I think that's a part of why there were so many mature players uh, that went to Sydney that really thrived um, because you could, you could actually be normal. You'd go train, uh, get as fit as you possibly can, have a really nice lifestyle around uh, the weather, the beaches, the recovery, all that sort of stuff, and you could be normal and you, you could walk the streets and, and no one no one would know your name uh, unless you were like uh, Barry Hall, Buddy Franklin. They're, obviously, they're getting more well-known now, um, but back in my day, it was great. Like You could actually be totally normal and,
2: and that was nice. Apart from all of those positives, did you feel as though you were joining a football team that had a chance of going all the way?
1: I felt they had a, a, a backbone of uh, some really quality um, people, um, first and foremost, and they were they were great players as well. Um, a, again, there was a evolution of era. It was, it was the Paul Kelly sort of era um, where Kel was still to this day like one of the best players I've played alongside of, and him and Andrew Dunkley, Darren Creswell, all that, Wayne Swass, all those guys uh, ended up going and there was a, a void. But that's when the Jude Boltons came in, um, Jared McVeigh to a lesser extent in that sort of era because he was still a young kid. Uh, Ryan O'Keefe, they all started emerging. Uh, and then getting Craig Bolton from Brisbane was really important for that, for that um, uh, footy team to have the success that we did and Brett Kirk sort of came from nowhere. Uh, he, he was, he was probably close to. Uh, if if Ruzi didn't take over, I think Kirky might have been delisted. Um, Kirky, Kirky uh, ends up getting an opportunity with with Ruzi. Ruzi gives him a, a really good chance, and he just grabbed it and turned
2: into a wonderful leader. Did you feel as though there was a sense of destiny in two
1: thousand and five? I felt I really felt that um we were we were definitely good enough um we we in 2005 we had that really bad publicity around boring swans and all that sort of stuff and and the AFL hit us I think Dimitro hit us pretty hard yeah. between the eyes uh, about our style and Ruzi hadn't always said that he doesn't care he, the style that he he believes is going to win in a grand final is the one that he's going to play and that's it's so true because when you look back at it, why why do people have or why do teams have style um, that's not going to stack up in a in a you know cutthroat finals where everything's on the line? And if you're not used to that really contested type of football, then you're going to get found out. And and I think that's why we di- we did so well for so long uh, in finals and, and in big games. Um, we we had a style that that actually stood up and. And yeah it wasn't the, the the sexiest one going around and and even like when I first went to the swans like i've i the first couple of years i just played normal and and that that was fine and then when Rosie came over, he actually wanted me to go play on some bikes, and I've gone, I don't play on anyone <laughs> I just want to run around and get the football um but that that was the the real change in mindset where where we parked all our egos, we we put all those aside and um, we, we were a true... I felt that we were a true team um, and that's the only probably time in my career that I felt that we had a group that were would do anything for each other.
2: Everybody, Willow, remembers that one moment of the grand final, that mark. What's the other moment when you close your eyes and you think back to 2005 and that day? What's the other moment that springs to mind for you?
1: Oh, it's hard to get past Leo's mark uh, because of how significant it was um i think the i think the and this sounds silly but there wasn't there were was so many other big moments in in the game and there was so many like i remember jude getting his head ripped off and blood coming out of his head everywhere which just means that he was having a good game that's just a normal jude game um i remember I remember Mickey O'Loughlin getting the ball a lot and like having having some great opportunities and, and not quite getting there. Um, I remember I remember Goodsy having a, a great game, um, but the the thing that stands out probably the most is just when the siren went, like when the siren went and the tingles that you, you felt was. Um, Oh, something that just—I know everyone says it's—it's so hard to explain, and and it is. It is. It's—it's a a feeling that you—you just can't replicate. If you could, you'd be a pretty wealthy man.
2: And the other great thing was that eventually, when the career ended, it was beyond three hundred games. You must be really proud of being in that. As I said, one of the most elite clubs in footy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, if you—if you'd said that. Um, at the start of my career I would have gone oh no you're kidding kidding yourself and I I think especially because I didn't play any finals my first 10 years like I played one finals game in my first 10 years so and I missed a a fair amount fair chunk uh, with injury Um, I think I I think I missed 40 or 50 games through injuries as well so I was um, I was really proud of, of getting there and uh, it was funny, like Ruzi, Ruzi, and I laugh about this now. But uh, like Alistair Lynch, great Tasmanian, uh, finished on 306 games, and um, Ruzi, Ruzi, said to, this is after the fact. He said, I told Lynchy that I was going to fire you on 306, so you didn't get to 307, <laughs> so you don't have the record for Tassie. You're sharing it. And I said, I said that's nice, that's good, but uh,
2: ho- hopefully someone uh, takes that off both of us. A premiership. 306 games might all pale into insignificance compared to your coaching record. When we come back with our final segment, we'll talk about the illustrious coaching career of Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
2: Uh, It's been a great chat. Hope you've enjoyed it with Paul Williams on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So we'll owe 306 games on the field and all of a sudden you find yourself in the coach's box. As an assistant coach, first of all, what was that experience like?
1: I I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do it and and Chris Fagan, uh, who was at Melbourne Footy Club at the time, um, he... He reached out and asked me what what I was thinking of doing, and there was an opportunity to go um, coach the Melbourne midfield. So uh, under Neil Danaher as well, which uh, obviously didn't know Neil but respected him quite highly uh, from outsider. Um, and and then I, I went and had an interview with him, and, and yeah, I said, listen, this is this is good. I, I, I want to do this. So I did did that for a couple of years um, with Melbourne. Then went to the Bulldogs for. For three years under Rocket, um, Rocket got me again. Uh, that Tasmanian thing. Uh, yeah. He just just asks, and I say, "Yeah, okay, no worries." Um, so I had three years, really good three years with him. Um, that was a a great learning curve for for coaching. And um, what was that experience like sitting beside him in the coach's box? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> it uh, he was. He's an amazing tactician uh rocket like he what he was able to do and manip- manipulate if I can get it out um, uh, the game from the coach 's box was better than anyone else that I, i'd had anything to do with and and he could do it whilst he was redlining as a as a coach emotionally uh, where not a lot of people can can think really rationally when they''re so emotionally involved in a game and he um, he could. He just had the ability to be able to see everything um, when when he was redlining. And uh, sitting next to you,
2: next to him was was very interesting. Uh, did it prepare you for actually sitting in the big chair because you did that three games? Now I mentioned this impeccable record. What's your winning percentage as a coach? Uh,
1: we're not going. Are we talking? Let's not talk volumes of games. No, 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 no. no just percentage. Percentage sixty six point six seven. I think
2: or six six six
1: recurring, yeah. or whichever one you want. Two games out of three.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it started pretty well, didn't it? Because when you were thrust into the chair, first of all, how did that all evolve? And um, was it a daunting thing for you to be sitting in the big chair?
1: Because I had such a really good relationship with Rocket, um, I, I felt a little bit uh, uncomfortable sitting in a, a seat that he occupied for so long. Um, but he he told me to, to go for it and he gave me his blessing. And, and I think that, that made it quite easy for me to do that. Um, I enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the pressure of coming up with a a plan to give the, the guys hope that they were going to
2: win a game of football. So you've gone from assistant coach into the big chair and obviously you want everything to work. Obviously had a cracking start. I think they kicked 10 first
1: quarter in Adelaide against Port.
2: Um, 10-3 to one goal I think it was a quarter time.
1: I said, this hot seat, it's as cool as. Like, I don't even know why you guys worry about it. But uh, we were very lucky. Everything that went right went right in that first quarter.
2: Do you wish you had a coach more than three games?
1: Yeah, I would have loved to. I did get the, the taste of actually having uh, that responsibility. I, I did really enjoy it. Um, and I did go. I did pitch for the the Bulldogs job quite heavily, and it, in the end, it was I think it was um, Maka, uh Leon, and myself in the last last three, and um, uh, unfortunately didn't get it, which was fine. And then uh, Brendan McCartney wanted me to stay, and I just felt for him, um, it'd be better if I did move because being at the club for three years, albeit it's only three years, but Coached them, albeit for three games. I thought that they probably needed a, a total fresh look uh, and uh, his fresh ideas and, and and new eyes on 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 the playing list and and oh, I it thought it'd be better if I if I went to Carlton uh, under Brett Ratton.
2: So many brilliant moments in your football career, and we've discussed many of them. As we come to the end of our chat, probably the biggest question: Are you a pie or a swan? ha!
1: <laughs>
2: the best way for me
1: to answer this is I've got two beautiful daughters one is mad Collingwood and one's mad Sydney I've sort of got that I really love the way uh, Bucks has got them going and the style that they're playing and 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 the group that they've got so I had an opportunity to go and sit in the the box uh, a few weeks ago uh, with the pies and that was that was a great experience and um, so to answer your question I'm back in Melbourne now I'm probably more pie
2: it's been a brilliant life in football, Willow. More than 300 games, that incredible coaching percentage that we just touched on that will be the envy of coaches everywhere and they'll be aspiring for that 67. Let's round it up to 67%. Let's, no,
1: 70. Let's
2: go. To 70. Okay, well, to the nearest 10. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's been a brilliant journey in football and it's been great to share it with you over the last hour. Thanks for coming in.
1: Thanks, Pete. Cheers.
2: Paul Williams joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. Another great of Australian sport we will be here same time next week. Hope you can join us then.
1: Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and
2: zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 132191.